If you think back to October of last year, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that the federal government's Impact Assessment Act of 2019 was, at least in part, not entirely, but in part, unconstitutional. Now, this is the legislation that's meant to serve as something of a framework for how major projects are assessed on a number of different categories, not just environment, other ones as well, but that's the one that we hear most about. Um, Projects that include all kinds of different things major projects pipelines for example one of them that's another thing we heard a lot about in alberta right um the court determined that the law yeah it did overstep and it veered into areas of provincial jurisdiction so at this point you've got people working hard to try and get the impact assessment act in line with what the supreme court said it needs to be in terms of constitutionality how does that look and can it be done? We're going to speak with Robert B. Gibson, who is Professor of Environment, Resources and Sustainability, University of Waterloo. Uh, Robert, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you being here. My pleasure, Shay. Um, okay, the job here seems pretty straightforward if you're one of the people working in the back room to try and get this sorted. Bring this act in line with the Constitution, but it's not that easy though, is it? What are some of the stumbling blocks that are here? Well, the stumbling blocks are that we have old arrangements for figuring out how to divide powers fairly between the provinces and the federal government. They date back to 1867 and slightly adjusted and updated in uh, 1982. Mm-hmm. But we've got problems that are not well served by dividing out powers. And we have... Uh, a need nonetheless to respect the Constitution. So somehow the people who are amending the law need to figure out how to deal with problems that, and opportunities, really, that overlap and are inseparable in a variety of ways, at the same time as respecting the constitutional division of powers. That's yeah. just not easy. No, it might be impossible, in fact. Now, let's... When we talk to the, about the Constitution, like you say, I mean, this document goes back a ways, so that's where this all originates. What does it say in terms of jurisdiction? Is it that clear to begin with? Do we have a very clear, solid idea of who gets to do what, when? Well, it's been endlessly debated, as you might imagine. This is not the first constitutional case that Supreme Court has had to deal with, um, and it dates back a very long way. It's also not a problem that's exclusive to Canada. How to divide powers is a perennial issue. So what we started with are the kind of concerns you had in 1867. Um, uh, who is in charge of, of fisheries? Who is in charge of forests or other natural resources? Who's in charge of various kinds of laws? Who deals with um, taxation and banking and Uh, criminal law and all those kinds of considerations. And a lot of those things we still have today, but we also now have environment as a concept that wasn't uh, prevalent in 1867 and really wasn't addressed in 1982. So how do you deal with that? Um, Beyond environment, we have sustainability considerations that are global. We have climate considerations that are global. To some extent, that looks like a federal jurisdiction, but it's not one that was anticipated in the Constitution. And certainly, there are major provincial roles in all of those things. How how to divide it up is really tricky. 
And I'm wondering, and you've touched on it, but I mean, we you see this with the United States Constitution as well. These are documents that go back in, in some instances and in some ways, many, 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 many years. And a lot of things that we're dealing with and we're talking about here in 2024 didn't, I mean, they weren't even on the radar when these documents were drawn up. Can is, is, is it folly to try and base what we're doing today on some of these documents that go back, you know, many, many years? Is it even possible? Well, uh, I think you'll have different opinions on that matter. Yeah. Uh, I think, practically speaking, uh, the Constitution plays an important role. um, And to the extent possible, you should try to respect its uh, basic intent, uh, which I think is reasonably sound in the Canadian case. The basic intent is to recognize that you want to divide responsibilities and authority between federal and provincial powers and that way you have at least two sets of eyes if you wish checking out things which is usually better than concentrating power in one place it's also why we have a supreme court as well as a parliament so that concept of dividing powers out looks a little efficient inefficient sometimes but I think it is to our overall lasting advantage. So there's lots of constitutional aspects that are worthy of preservation. Second big thing is constitutions are really hard to change. Yeah, very hard. (laughs) So (laughs) the the third option is how can we interpret the the constitution that we have in ways that are essentially true to what the ideas were, but are also useful for action in the public interest today. Right. And looking into the future for that matter. Okay. It, it makes perfect sense. In the instance of the Impact Assessment Act, if you've got to bring this thing in line, and you're, you're one of the people that's working to rewrite this thing to make that happen, Robert, what's, what, what do you need to do? Can it be done, and what do you think it should look like when it is done? Well, uh, in many ways, I'm happy I'm not on that committee. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's difficult and it's hard to know what will be acceptable to the Supreme Court if things get uh, reconsidered. But in general, I think what we should be moving towards is recognition that we need to share power more than divide it. And tolerating overlap between federal and provincial authority and indigenous authority as well, which is not much in this conversation, but is crucial, um, probably increasingly so. Um, I think that we need to have some kind of reconciliation and more willingness to collaborate. Uh, I have more expertise in assessment than I do in the Constitution, and I can say with some confidence that the best assessment work that's been done in Canada has been done when we got jurisdictions collaborating together in joint processes. The very best ones that I've worked on, the ones that have been most advanced, that have had the best results in important ways, have been joint assessments. We've done a lot of them. We've got considerable experience in that. The trouble will happen where we have positions taken by federal and provincial governments of a variety of persuasions that... uh, don't agree on the substance of matters that are raised by particular projects. So 
Um, I think facilitating as much as possible collaborative process is crucial. Um, that's to some extent enabled by the current law. It probably could be stronger. Secondly, the uh, the advantage of the federal law over its predecessors, uh, the current federal law over the predecessors, is that instead of focusing largely on environmental effects, it tries to incorporate attention to the interactions between social, economic, and environmental, and cultural, and other considerations, recognizing that in the real world, that's what is happening. We've had probably some pretty good assessments in the territories in Canada because from the outset, those assessments recognize that uh, the Indigenous communities particularly didn't see environment and society and economy as right. separate categories. They just laughed at you when you tried to divide things up like an academic from the city. Um, and I think that they had a better sense and still do have a better sense of the the interactions, the essential unity of all those things and how they had to fit together in some way. Tough. I found the same thing doing assessment work in any place but the cities in Canada. But most people who lived closer to the land, closer to their livelihoods who were based on the land, really didn't just, uh, consider how to make a livelihood and how to preserve the land as two separate things you think about in different processes with different approvals. Yeah. It never made sense to those people. No, you're right. That's a lot of people in Canada, really. It is, it is, it is. And, and you know, and, and you talk about the collaboration and the cooperation, that's that's another division. Or, you know, uh, there's another gap that we need to bridge there. This is hard, Robert, when it comes down to it. Um, with the It's almost, I don't know if it's possible to check all of the boxes you've mentioned. Well, uh, the world we live in is demanding it. Insofar as we fail to do this, uh, we get into deeper and deeper problems. Yeah. We're in deeper and deeper problems now. The world is less inclined to sustainability. It's less capable of delivering livelihoods and the bases for livelihoods to future generations than it was uh uh, in the time that the last constitution was redrafted in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's in worse shape than it was when I was a kid. And I got grandchildren. Exactly. And we all need to worry about those kinds of things. So it, the, the kinds of changes that we're facing are going to be getting worse on a sustainability front, on a climate front, on a biodiversity front, under the whole suite of those considerations. Um, whether we address it in the environmental assessment or the impact assessment legislation or not, whether we do it in practice or not. Um, and insofar as we don't pay attention to those things, uh, the, the future will be worse. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's... We, don't have, we don't have a big choice here. No. We can be short-sighted uh, or we can try to do better. Hard job, but an important one. Um, Robert, unfortunately, I'm right out of time, but thank you so much for the conversation. I really do appreciate it. Delight and a pleasure. Good thank luck out there.